Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so the reading of today will be from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah has to be born, was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are no, by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming on to the house, they, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Oh, good afternoon, everyone, and uh, a happy third Advent. Um, very good to see a lot of new people, many guests. Uh, let me also add my welcome as I open the water bottle that I have. Um, <clears throat> as you can hear, my voice is not at, uh, at peak performance. Um, Andes has put on the season, uh, and I as well, just in a slightly different way. So, um, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for a little slide to appear there. So, anyway, let let me start by uh, with a, with a very small interactive session. Does anyone here have a favorite chocolate brand? Okay, can can you name some? Lint. Okay. Right. So, what do you say that these are very popular ones? Yeah, yeah. Right. Qu questionable, but okay. <laughs> right. Go Latvia. Right. Go Latvia and, and the Baltics. Right. So, what if what if I told you most of these chocolates that you named are are not really there to give you information about chocolate? You know, most of the time they're 50% or more sugar. Um, and the reason for that is they're not really good good chocolate. It doesn't tell you or, or give you the taste of chocolate. It's there to give you the taste of sugar. Uh, uh, chocolate is much like coffee. Um, you, can, you can ask Andis if you tell him, hey, here's a good coffee, and, and you give him a store-bought generic brand, 
he will accept it, I'm sure, but he won't be fascinated. But if you give him something from um, from a special special collection, some special being, he'll be overjoyed. I I would be with him on 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 the same. So if you decide to gift us coffee, there there you go. Choc chocolate bars are the same. They come from cocoa beans, and there are many varieties of cocoa beans. Um, <clears throat> and um, if you if you have a chocolate bar made from a specific region's cocoa you'll have nice interesting flavors. Some might be fruity, some might be tasting like tobacco, some might be woody, and so on. The reason that I start with this is our idea of chocolate and its flavor comes from what is popular and not from the science of making chocolate because the science of making chocolate is something you have to put effort in and study, whereas the popular one just you just hear it passively. And unfortunately, there is a similarity when we consider the events of Christmas and the characters surrounding it. A lot of our knowledge about Christmas and the Christmas story comes from popular misconceptions. Misconceptions popularized by songs, plays, stories, and even Christmas cards. <laughs> For instance, we can all imagine an innkeeper, but we never see this character in the Bible. But we've seen it in a play before. Another very popular one is the nativity scene, which I found a picture of on the internet. And you can see here, um, all the characters are there around the family. There's Joseph, Mary, the baby Jesus, all the animals, the magi, and there are three of them. Uh, and then you've got the shepherds in the corner as well. But is that actually what we read? Um, I, I will give you more details as we go on, but for starters, uh, the baby Jesus was not born in a stable. What we see is that he was placed in a manger. A manger, for those of you who don't know, it was just a open container for feeding animals. So what do you, what do you see Jesus in? is the manger, it's not the whole place. Um, and such such a thing was also available in houses because back in the day, uh, not everyone had a barn outside the house to store their animals. Uh, often they would just have the animals in the lower floor uh, during the nighttime so they can protect their animals from thieves. And so there were likely no animals at the time Jesus was born that would have been unhygienic. And another very important thing is that the shepherds visit on the day of Jesus's birth, or I should say the night, uh, whereas the magi, they visited at a later time, pretty much when Jesus was a child. Now these misconceptions, they are by no means dangerous. They are very innocent little changes that have gradually developed over time, and often for good reason. <clears throat> For example, in, in today's passage, we read about the three magi who visited Jesus, or did we? If you followed along as the passage was read, you would have noticed that the text never mentions three magi. What it does mention is three gifts. And so uh, the early church, uh, to, to provide a memory aid, decided, okay, three magi, sounds, sounds good, let's go with that. And of course, it's easier to draw three magi 
in, in a Christmas card or in a play rather than a, a huge crowd. Another thing is we believe they were kings. Quite often uh, they're called the three kings. Uh, there's even a song, We Three Kings. But again, uh, they, they were not kings. The Bible does not give us any such idea. But again, the early church, um, when they were reading the Bible, they read kings would come to praise and worship this, uh, this newborn king. And so they decided or, or understood the word magi to be kings. What these misconceptions can do, though, is they can paint a picture in our head, give us preconceived ideas as we read, and take away a bit of creativity. When you read the three magi, and or just the magi technically, you, you paint over three magi, three kings from the east on camels, but that's not what the Bible says. And so we are we have a dull and muted story that we don't think about again. We don't give second thought to the character of the Magi. So my goal today is to ask such questions, namely three questions. Who are the Magi? Who is Herod? And what child is this? And hopefully I will answer them as well. So let's, let's start with the Magi. If I told you to give me a few words that started with similar sounds, magi, magi, what, what would you say? Yeah, magic, anything else? Okay, okay. Magicians, mage, mage is just another word for a wizard or, or a sorcerer. Now, yes, uh, the first word that I heard was spot on, magic. It comes from this particular word, magi. But the magi, they actually had nothing to do with magic and sorcery or, or wizardry. They were, they're believed to belong to an ancient tribe of uh, people, the, an ancient tribe that had a very unique religious system. They were monotheists. And over time, they became a priestly class of people. And they were spread about in various kingdoms in the region, but uh, primarily they were in Babylon and later on Medo-Persia. <laughs> the word magi, because of its connection with these mysterious religious people who can read the stars, over time developed that meaning of magic and wizardry. So being such such people who are very wise, educated, and educated in astronomy was a very unique skill back in the day. Uh, these, these men, the Magi, they were given very high political positions because they could advise the king. And moreover, they made sure that they continued in these positions of power in the kingdoms that came after one fell. So, for example, when Babylon fell and the Medes took over, they were there in that kingdom. And when the Persians took over the Medes, they were in Persia as well. The Magi became very powerful. Uh, they wrote a code that would then be used to declare who was king. Uh, the king had to learn this code and prove to the Magi that they are worthy to become king. And only then they would be made king.
So in other words, the Magi were kingmakers at the time. They would also go on to counsel the king on various decisions, and such was their power and prominence back in the day. It is very likely that these pagan men knew about the Jewish Messiah because of Daniel. Daniel was one of the exiles from Judah taken to Babylon as, as a prisoner by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who defeated the kingdom of Judah. Uh, Daniel was a gifted prophet, and he clearly prophesied the rise and fall of kingdoms after Babylon and prophesied during which kingdom Jesus would be born and put to death in. If you are good at math and history, you can even go to Daniel, read the book, and understand that he predicted the very year and even the very day on which Jesus would be crucified. So given that God lifted Daniel to a very high position in Babylon, with many officials of the Babylonian kingdom working under him, it is very easy to conclude that he preached to them the message about the coming Messiah. And this influence stayed with these wise men for generations to come. There was a 500-year gap between Daniel and Jesus. So just as, um, I'm sorry, not 500 between Daniel and Jesus, but um, 500 between um, the Israelites returning to Jerusalem and Jesus. So just as God had spoken through Daniel, the fall of Babylon took place, then the Medes took over, and then the Persians took over. Uh, the Medes and Persians, they are the same people. They are modern-day Iranians. So you'll often see the term Medo-Persians. Uh, after them, the Greeks came into power. Uh, you've probably heard of Alexander the Great. This is where he features in history. Uh, and after he died, his generals took over. Uh, and then the Roman kingdom was the most powerful in the region. And during the Roman kingdom, Jesus was born. So for the Magi, as they saw the rise and fall of kingdoms, it was just confirmation of God's word. They have read the prophecies before, and they just see it confirmed again and again. Now the Medo-Persians, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Magi were Medo-Persians, as I mentioned earlier. Um, they were in the eastern part, uh, in, in modern-day Iran, and on the other end of the world, we have the Greeks and Romans. They, as you might guess, were not on good terms. Um, and they often had battles, and amidst such tension, it would not be wise for the Magi to send just three men to Jerusalem, an enemy state. So they probably did not travel uh, alone. They were traveling as a procession, but also not traveling just as a procession of priests there likely were soldiers to protect them. And uh, maybe, just maybe, there might have been a drummer boy to help with the marching. But the fact is that this group wouldn't have been an in inconspicuous group of men. It was most likely a small uh, mini army that marched into Jerusalem. So when the Magi, who have arrived with a small army, Ask Herod in verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? 
for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him, Herod is troubled. He would be, because these are important men from an enemy state claiming there is a new king and that they have come to worship him. If you are, in, if you place yourself in Herod's shoes, you're the king, and they're saying there's a new king. They do not pay any heed to you being king, so that would definitely trouble you. Did you also notice that little bit in verse 3 where it says, All Jerusalem was troubled with him? That probably shows us the tension that's caused by the question. It is pretty much a rejection of the current king, and that worries the people because it threatens their peace and security, the first sign of which is Herod is troubled. So who is this Herod guy? Undis will give you a lot more history and information about Herod next week, I hope. Uh, I'm just going to tell you Herod was a vassal king ruling over Judea. He was placed there by Rome. Uh, again, for those of you who might not know this, a vassal king is a king who is under a more powerful king. The vassal king serves this bigger king in exchange for protection and uh, the right to rule his own kingdom. In our case, the more powerful kingdom is Rome, and Herod wanted the right to rule a kingdom, so that's, that's why he is placed there. <laughs> The question we need to ask is, is Herod really a king? Or is it just a namesake title that he holds? If you think about it, he has no free reign over the kingdom that he rules. He is constantly monitored by Rome and he is under the control of Rome. Moreover, he must constantly please Rome to stay in the position that he is in. Even his people are not really his people. Their taxes do not go to him, it goes to Rome. They need Rome's permission to do a lot of different things, as we see in the story of the crucifixion. There is some similarity, though, between us and Herod. Just like Herod, we would like to be rulers of our own worlds. But we aren't true rulers. We serve our overlords such as career, money, materialism, and self-fulfillment. And at the core of it all is this self. The most important person, as far as we are concerned, is self. Ultimately, we are not rulers and kings. We are slaves, slaves to sin. Sin rules over us. The similarity stretches a little further for others. Like Herod, some are interested in knowing about this King Jesus. We read in verse 8, Herod sent the Magi to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. But if we read further, we can know Herod's ulterior motive. He has no intention of worshiping this child. And this is a plain lie, so he could get to know where the child is, so that he can kill this child and keep his power, his rule. So, so there are many, many people who have similar intentions. I'd like to know 
more about who Jesus is and I'd like to worship him too. And people might do their research like Herod asking, uh, Herod here asked the teachers of the law and priests about where Jesus was to be born and, and people are very interested to know about Jesus. But Herod's intention was to stay in power, remove any competition and get rid of Jesus. For the people in Jerusalem, for the scribes, the, the teachers of the law and the priests, their main intention was, well, I need to serve this king that we have, uh, peace and security. Uh, they don't care about what God's word says. They're not mildly, even mildly enthusiastic about what they have just explained to the king. They just cared about their peace and security in, in their current situation of slavery and oppression. And so intention becomes an important question. What is your intention? There are some like Herod who research to get rid of Jesus as a myth and a legend or even a great teacher. Some who research to find supposed loopholes and contradictions to explain away accountability to God. Please don't be that person. It's an impossible task and an unachievable goal. The worst thing for a Christian is if your research into Jesus is just so you can check a box that you were spiritual and that for these things God will owe you at the end of your time a place in heaven. So how should we respond to Jesus? What intention is right? Let's take a look at the Magi again. What was their intention? Their only intention, as we read uh, in the very first part of the chapter, their only intention was to find out where Jesus was, was to recognize him as king and to worship him. This is not something simple for them to do. Again, these are officials from Persia, modern-day Iran, saying their king is Jewish. Just imagine that happening today. A good number of Iranian officials saying we have a king in Israel. Uh, he is a Jewish king. You'll get a pretty good picture of the tension that's there with the Magi. So here's the question they ask. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star uh, when it rose and have come to worship him. That is their only intention. The word worship simply means acknowledging worth. When the Bible speaks of worshiping God, it is exactly that. Acknowledging God's worth. I want to point out to you three things about the Magi's worship of Jesus. Um, you can see verses 10 to 12. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The moment they saw him, they fell to the ground and worshipped him. And before that, they left for Judea when they saw the star. Because they are quite a distance away from Jerusalem. They have to travel for months. This is the first thing that I would like you to note about their worship. It was urgent. 
They don't care that Jesus is only a child. They don't care that they have only seen a star. But they have the intent to begin their journey. They have the intent to come and worship this child. The child is not yet a king. But they don't care that he is not yet a king. They do not ask for any further signs. They are happy with what they have heard and with what they have seen. They don't wait for Jesus to become a king to start worshipping him. It is immediate. Many people keep pushing away the decision uh, to, to accept Jesus as Lord. They are ready to accept him as a great teacher, but that's not who he claimed he was. I've heard people say, I'd really like to believe in this Jesus, but uh, I, I simply cannot. It's too big a step. Would this be something that you tell your friend? Uh, hey, I would really like to believe what you're saying, but... I'm sorry, I just can't. The only reason for you to say such a thing is if you believe that person is lying. There is simply no other reason. You have only one life to decide. And this is a big decision. Either you worship Jesus Christ as your Lord or scorn him as a liar. Unfortunately, there is no in-between, no neutral position. If you are here today as an unbeliever, I urge you to make this question a number one priority and try to get the answers. You can talk to our Pastor Andes. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he will be happy. Um, and you can do that after the service. If you're a Christian, it's still the same. Jesus is Lord. He is not simply a means to something. Something could be anything. You should urgently assess that. How can you do that? That brings me to the next two points. Second, the Magi's worship is full. Their worship was not merely outward physical actions. Their worship included being joyful over getting to see and worship the king. Their worship included giving to Jesus what was theirs, their substance and wealth. It included laying all their power and position aside and humbling themselves before him. It wasn't a simple uh, little bow like that. It wasn't kissing the little child's hand. They fell on the ground and worshipped him. You can take a look at that picture there. It was very difficult to find one which showed Jesus as a toddler. But you can see that. It looks really strange. And you can see the reaction, I hope, of the child. He's, he's a bit bewildered. But, of course, Jesus, I don't think he was. But you can, you can imagine that a group of rich, powerful men bowing down, worshipping a little child, and then giving him gifts. Their worship wasn't an empty one that simply admired the miracle child. Their worship was full in that it involved humility, joy, and giving to Jesus what God had blessed them with rather than getting something from him. So, if you want to assess your worship, do you see Jesus with the same awe and respect, or is he just a buddy of yours? Do you present all of you to him, or do you reserve some things for yourself? Things like your time and your money. Do you find joy in worshiping him? The third is that their worship continues. It is not momentary. Take a look at verse 12 again. 
And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. All they've got is a dream, but they are able to see that it is a command from heaven, and they obey. They also disregard the earthly king's command to report back to them, and they openly disobey it. Their worship doesn't end with merely calling Jesus king and giving him gifts. It doesn't end when that visit is done. It continues on as recognizing the kingship afterward and continually showing him the loyalty, even if an earthly ruler demands otherwise. I was introduced to a term, uh, CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter-only Christians. Other Christians are Sunday-only Christians. For these so-called Christians, Jesus is not a king. He is an item on their checklist. The Magi simply don't seem to fit in this category. They believed God's word. They traveled hundreds of miles to see the word manifest, and they worshipped him. And they defied a king to obey God. Our worship and adoration of Christ shouldn't stop after the Sunday service. It has to continue on as worship, adoration, surrender, and obedience every day. So the ultimate question that I need to answer is why? Whether you are here as a Christian or not, this is an important question. Why worship Jesus? If you're not a Christian, I guess it's an obvious question. You need to be persuaded to make that decision and dedicate your entire life and belongings to Jesus and make him your lifelong pursuit. But this is an equally important question for the Christian too, because that lifelong pursuit, worship, and obedience is simply not possible without getting to know him and his gospel every day. So what reasons does Matthew give us here in this small section? I'm, I think he gives many, but I'm going to focus on three. Again, three is, I think, a good number. Firstly, Jesus is king. He is referred to as king by the Magi, whereas he who has been born king of the Jews, and that there is great enough reason to start worshipping him. It is not the Jews calling him a king. It is not himself yet calling him a king. They, the, the Jews, actually, they don't care. It is a bunch of Gentiles, men from an enemy nation, powerful men, who are risking a lot to travel to Bethlehem and claim there is another king. You know, when, when evidence is presented by the opposition, it becomes stronger evidence. And so that alone should make you wonder about the significance of this child. But you might say, the text says he is king of the Jews, and I'm not a Jew. Valid observation, but here's another one. Neither were the Magi, but they were more than willing to accept his kingship because it is much better than slavery to sin. Since they revere Jesus as king, they present him with gold a precious metal uh, back in the day that signified royalty and purity, a gift that was fit for a king, and so they give it to him. Let us take a look at the second description of Jesus Christ we have in this passage in verse 6. 
It is a prophecy from the book of Micah. Let me read it to you. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So scrolls, when, when Matthew was writing, scrolls were a costly commodity. It was common practice for these authors to quote just the first verse of a text that they wanted to quote in, in entirety. So Matthew does exactly that. He would actually want his readers to read Micah 5 in full. And if you have time uh, at home today, you should check it out. But for the sake of time at the moment, let me just read two verses. Micah chapter 5 verses 2 and 4. These are the two verses he quotes in part here. So here's Micah 5, 2 and 4. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will, who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. So the first thing was that Jesus is king. And secondly, Jesus is God. His origins are said to be from of old, from ancient times. In the book of Daniel, God is referred to as the ancient of days. The Bible says God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is given the same title in the book of Revelation. And uh, Robert, very, I don't know, it was very interesting that you quoted this particular verse today. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The origin of Jesus was not at His birth. He existed before the world because He is God, the only begotten Son of God. Again, the Magi set good examples for us. They present to Jesus the second gift, frankincense, an ingredient uh, in incense. That's why frankincense. Um, and incense was burned to God. It was um, part of the recipe for incense to God. So frankincense is often considered a um, symbol for deity. The third thing is Jesus is a shepherd. Even though he is God, and he is God's anointed king, he does not lord it over anyone. He comes in humility as a baby, born and laid in a manger. His first breath would have been painful, just like any other babies. He would have hungered, he would have thirsted, he would have suffered every problem of evil and pain that we like to blame God for. In his ministry, we see the same humility, patience with the disciples, leading them, teaching them, and washing their feet. He is the same shepherd king to all of his people. But that's not all. He is not just a shepherd. He is the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He is God with us, Emmanuel, as we saw last week. And he saves people from his sin. Not by dictating to them what they need to do, but by taking on himself 
the punishment for their sin and giving him giving them his resurrection life and to signify to symbolize this the magi present to him myrrh uh, myrrh was an embalming spice used in the burial process and uh, as a result it symbolizes mortality that that humans have and it symbolizes suffering and death Jesus is not an average Jewish man. Even as a little child, uh, he caused a stir with men trying to kill him and others trying to worship him. All that is testament to the fact that he is the Son of God, born as a human, to be with us and to save his people from slavery to sin. Good enough reason to confess that he is your Lord and worship the King. Let me finish with a Little section from the hymn, What Child Is This? Um, I hope you saw that coming. I had a small reference back in the sermon. Um, and I think these, these lines clearly portray the wonderful nature of our Lord. I'm, I'm really sorry for the old English. Uh, I'll try to give some explanation here and there, but it's an old hymn. So here, here it goes. It's from stanza 2 and 3. Good Christian fear... Fear here not meaning be scared, but be in awe and have respect and reverence. Good Christian fear, for sinners here, the silent word is pleading. Have you thought about Jesus' ministry like that? Even as a child interceding for sinners, thinking about the deliverance of his people. And so the hymn continues. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him the king of kings salvation brings let loving hearts enthrone him let loving hearts enthrone him indeed let us pray our gracious god heavenly father uh, thank you for thank you that you are god and that there is no other like you um, help us, Lord, today to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. Uh, help us to enthrone him in our hearts, to worship him as king uh, in truth and in spirit. Help us to see uh, the wonder of the miracle of salvation that you have worked in our lives and in the lives of many people we have never met before. Uh, help us to be faithful and loyal to Jesus Christ Help us to be in awe of him every day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.